All right, so how's everybody doing? You guys wide awake? I, I know last week was kind of crazy with the time travel. You know, I know that it's difficult to travel with time and all that kind of stuff. You're not supposed to do that much time travel in one day. Um, so we'll take a little break this week. We won't travel as much, but we're still going to talk about time. Is that okay? That's fine, right? Um, but we learned, just so if you weren't here, uh, we did learn um, that Jeremiah the prophet, the weeping prophet, he said um, in Jeremiah 31, he told us that in future days, God wants to make a new covenant, a new promise, not like the old covenant. Um, then we traveled up to the book of Hebrews, when the book of Hebrews was written, and uh, it said that uh, Christ, having offered one sacrifice for all sins, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, even just Christ sitting down is interesting, right? He's just, he took a break after he got the deal done. Um, Hebrews also said um, that Jesus provided a better covenant, which has been established on better promises. And we talked about upgrades. We talked about how uh, new cars are better than old cars and why that was. And part of it was just air conditioning is a big deal. I mean, how many of you guys enjoy your air conditioning in your vehicles? I know I do. Uh, if my AC goes out, I, I steal my wife's car. That's just kind of how it works. Um, but upgrades were made and forgiveness forever was one of those upgrades. And God was a true time traveler. Um, and we said reasons why was he made a promise in the past right, which was the old covenant, spoke, spoke to the past. Uh, he made a payment in the New Testament, which is where we live, uh, which provided forgiveness forever for the future. Amen? So this week, I want to talk about why it's so important to know that we know that we know that we're forgiven. And I believe it's a key, right? I, I, I do believe it's a key. I'm not just talking about forgiveness because it's kind of catchy. Um, but I believe it's a key to opening doors in our lives. It may not be a key to opening like a DeLorean, which would be great, but it is a key to opening doors in our lives. Some of those keys could be just prayer. It could be relationships in your lives. Uh, it could be even just conversation with God. But forgiveness is the key. And I want to open with a passage. If you guys will turn there with me, it's in John 8, and we're going to read verse, verses 1 through 11 in the Passion Translation. And it said, Jesus walked, right? It said, Jesus walked. Let's just start there. That's pretty good, right? Like, he walked. He wasn't into running. Did you guys notice that? All the time he was walking. He wore flip-flops, so you know he wasn't into running. But he walked up to the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again. Soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us what to do, uh, or tell us, yeah, what do you say we should do with her? And isn't it interesting, where was the guy at, right? Like, that's a kind of a question I have. You got the woman here, and where was the dude, okay? Like, we got kind of like a little bit mixture. Maybe he put the robe on, and he's coming out, and he's like, he's one of the guys that's pointing the fingers, do 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 right? One of the older guys. Um, but it says... Um, doesn't Moses, 
Um, Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone this this woman to death? Um, They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Right? Isn't that funny? Like you, you, you literally picture Jesus, and he's just down here doodling. Okay, like I just—it's—it's it's an interesting picture. Most of the time, you see pic- Jesus like up on the cross. Like I want to buy a picture that has Jesus doodling on the ground. Okay, um, and he's doodling, and and then the people are getting angrier. Right? It says angry. They kept insisting that he answer their questions. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, "Let's have the man who has." N- has um, never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Like, what is he doing in this moment? Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, Then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go from now on. Be free of this life of sin. Now, when you, if you can picture Jesus bowing down in front of these guys who all have stones, right? Like literally in the midst of chaos, he bends down and starts doing something at the ground. Now, you know, there's been predictions that maybe he was writing the names of the people that these guys had been with, or he was writing out their sins, or a lot of different things that he could be writing. But maybe, maybe he was setting up a tripwire, right? Like maybe he's down there and he's got this tripwire set up and he tells this woman to go and sin no more. And he's hoping that she's going to trip over this wire. Like she's going to fall on her face. Or maybe he was like, all right, now she's forgiven. Hopefully she'll get caught again. And we can go through this whole awkward moment again, really soon. Cause that's what I'm, that's what Jesus is hoping for. Or maybe he's just letting her off the hook, right? Like, I don't know if you guys ever heard people say that. Well, grace just lets people off the hook. I mean, that's just what grace does, right? So maybe that's what Jesus is doing. Or um, maybe he's like, sin doesn't exist, okay? Sin is just not in existence. Like, Jesus is like, we're kind of chill with everybody. So sin doesn't exist. No, but this was one of the first moments that we get to see grace embodies embodied Jesus, right? Like he, if he was the epitome of grace, if Jesus was, we are watching literally grace unfold. And he was saying, sin no longer has power over your life anymore. Get up and walk forever without condemnation ever again. Okay. He was, um, and, and basically the first door that forgiveness opens. Okay. Cause I said it opens doors, but the first door, um, that, that, Forgiveness, which is the key it opens, is sinlessness. Sinlessness, all right? Now, I know what you're saying, Matt, Matt, Matt. Like, can we stay on the road, okay? Like, stay on the the road, the narrow road, okay? And I have a response to that. Uh, Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads, okay? Where we're going, we don't need roads. 1 John 3, 6, it says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Did it say that? That's kind of strange. That's a weird thing. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And here's what I'll tell you. When we are sinless, 
we sin less. Did you guys hear that? When we are sinless, like when we are proclaimed sinless to God, like that's our relationship with him, then we will actually sin less. Now, you might be saying, Matt, I know that the DeLorean, right? I think we have a picture of the DeLorean. But I know that the DeLorean is made up of 10.5% chromium, okay? Like, I get it. Like, it doesn't rust or corrupt. Like, okay, okay, okay. But uh, you can't say that about our lives. Like, we, we obviously have some kind of decay, and we're going to rust or corrupt. And my question to you is, well, what are you looking at, butthead? <laughs> right? Does anybody know that saying? Well, what are you looking at, butthead? And what I mean by this point is when we understand God's forgiveness, we won't look like a butthead because we won't look at the law. You guys doing okay with that word? I know. It's early. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> we won't look like a butthead because we won't look at the law. When you look at the law for a guidepost, what I mean by that is when you look at the law for a guidepost for the do's and the don'ts, for your right living, when you look at the law, okay, you look like a butthead. And I, and I say that because, you know, people are like, well, you got to look at the Ten Commandments. Like, Matt, you have to look at the Ten Commandments. And I hate to say this. I hate to burst the bubble. But there's like over 600 plus laws in the Old and New Testament. Like, there's so many laws that we're not, we, there's no way we could even barely memorize them, much less live by them, okay? Um, but 1 Corinthians 15:56 it says it is sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. Did you guys hear that? I'll read it again. It says it is sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. And here's what I'm going to tell you is knowing the law doesn't make you overcome sin. Did you guys hear that? That's pretty good, right? Knowing the law doesn't make you overcome sin. It shows you where the boundaries are, right? Like we can learn some of the boundaries, but the more you stare at the boundaries, the more you will cross them. Did you know that? Like I remember when I was driving, right? I was learning to drive in my mom's like awesome uh, 1998 Astro van, I think it was. And I'm driving this Astro van and I'm just, I'm driving all over the place, right? I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just staring at the lines. So all I can see is the lines. So I'm going over here, and I'm going over there, and I'm going over here. And my mom finally says, stop. What are you doing? What are you looking at? I'm like, well, I'm looking at the lines. I'm looking at the boundaries. And she said, no, look up. Look ahead. Look forward. Don't look down at the boundaries, right? And that's my encouragement to you today is if you're looking at the lines, you're going to drive all over them. You're going to go all over the place, and you're not actually going to see ahead. What scriptures say? It says that he is the author and the finisher of our faith, and we're to look to him to draw strength. And so the only way you're actually going to be able to stay and overcome some of the things that you're trying to overcome is if you're not looking at the things you're trying to overcome. If you're looking to him, who is our source of strength. Same way, I don't know if you guys ever seen the Boston uh, Red Sox. How many of you guys are Boston Red Sox fans in here, right? But uh, if you know anything about their field, their field has amazing lines. Like you can look up the reviews. They're, they're known for their fields. And what they will tell you, these master landscape type people, is they'll tell you the, the way that they can make those lines is they don't look down while they're driving. They look up. They find a pinpoint spot, and they will drive without looking down. And that's my encouragement to you is as you're living life, don't try to stay within the lines. Look to him, and he will show you 
how to overcome. Um, so the more you look at the lines, the more you'll cross them. And the reason why I know that is because I was that guy, right? I used to think, well, if Jesus overcame sin, right? Like if he overcame sin and I'm to be like Jesus, well, by God, I'm going to overcome sin. And what's so interesting is the more I would try, the more I would fail. Does anybody else, am I preaching to the, the choir here? The more I would try, the more I would fail. And I was looking like a butthead. Um, never realizing he overcame so we can lean on his strength. Romans 8.37, it says, Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all, for God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. And so what I want to say about that is his victory is our victory. You guys hear me? His victory is our victory. We are more than conquerors. It's kind of like when you work all week, right? You work all week, and then you come home and you give your spouse the check, right? And then they get the benefits of working, of you working all week, right? Same way, uh, you don't like that one? Uh, maybe we'll try uh, uh, football, or like maybe you're on a team or something, right? And you didn't get to play the whole time, but you get to say that you win when they won, right? Or uh, maybe you were a fan of sports. How many, we got fa sports fans in here? And you love your team, right? It's so funny, uh, say the Buccaneers, okay? Everybody comes out of the woodwork, right? And my team won. Well, Tom Brady may have won, um, but yes, your team won. And so you get the benefits of being able to say that your team won. The same way with Jesus, because he overcame we too overcame. Amen? Um, the more we understand forgiveness and that God doesn't condemn us, the more sin doesn't have a grip on our lives. Romans 8.1, it says that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Okay? The reason why there's no condemnation for us is because we're in Jesus. He overcame, therefore we have overcome. It says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You know, it's not like you can read that scripture and you're like, okay, I'm going to turn directions and I'm not going to walk after the flesh anymore. Like, I'm going to walk after the spirit because which direction is the flesh? Which direction is the spirit? That doesn't make any sense. But if we're in him, we are no longer walking after the flesh. Therefore, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. How many of you are in Christ Anybody in here, right? Um, how many of you still struggle? Anybody still struggle? If you're in here, you should be raising your hand for both of those things. Good news is you're not condemned. You're not condemned. The second door to open when we know God's forgiveness is door number two, forgiveness. You're like, well, Matt, you just said that. The second door to open when we know that we have been forever forgiven is, forgiven is forgiveness, a limitless supply of forgiveness. Now, I didn't say plutonium. I didn't say a limitless supply of plutonium, which you, if you don't know what it is because of Back to the Future, it was the fuel that the DeLorean, I think we have a picture of it, it was the fuel that the DeLorean ran off of, okay? I didn't say that. I said forgiveness. And I used to believe that forgiveness was up to me. 
right? How many of you guys have been through that? Like, I, I'm going to forgive this person. Like, I am going to. And I would read scriptures like Matthew 6, 15, where it says, but if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive the wrongs you have done. And I thought, like, I remember going to uh, family counseling. How many of you guys have been to family? Don't raise your hand. How many of you guys have ever been to family counseling? <laughs> right? It is not the most fun place to be, just so you know. And uh, this is when I was a kid. And I remember uh, the psychologist or whatever he was, social worker or whatever, um, he had me hold my hands out, and he started putting books on my arms. I don't know if you guys ever had this done in, in counseling, but he had me hold my arms out, and then he would put a book on my arm, right? And he'd say, how do you, how, how do you um, let go of that? And I didn't know what he meant. And then he put another book on my arm, and so I think I had like six books, and I'm like holding them, and there's all these people in the, in the group with us, right? And he's like, how do you let go of those books? And everybody yelled, like, drop it! Like, and so I dropped it. And then I was just so confused because it hit me, and I thought, well, how could I let something go when those people are still hurting me? Like, I, I don't want to forgive people because they're actually still, they're, they're getting past this barrier that I don't want them to get past, and they're hurting me. But that was the only way that you can actually forgive was to let go. And the reason why I couldn't let go was because I had no supply. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't feel like they deserved my forgiveness. How many of you guys have had people in your life where you're like, they don't deserve my forgiveness. I'm not giving it to them. No, no, no. Um, my supply was empty and I didn't have the capability to forgive in my own strength. It was basically like, if you know the movie, it was like the arrow hit. This was like, uh, I think in the third one, uh, the arrow hit and then the fuel drained and he couldn't travel time because um, it, it hit the vehicle the flux capacitor or whatever. And before the cross, here's what I'll say, is before the cross, it was up to us to forgive. Did you guys know that? Before Jesus came, it really was up to us to forgive. It was a command. After the cross, we have a limitless supply of forgiveness. After the cross, we have a limitless supply. So there was the expectation before the cross. Now after the cross, we have a limitless supply. Colossians 3.13, it says, Don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. And if you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. Forgive others because the Lord forgave you. Colossians 3.13, I don't have this on the thing, but I, I love the order of, of the Tree of Life translation. It says, Just as the Lord has pardoned you, so also you must pardon them. Just as you have been forgiven... Okay, you too can forgive others. Notice the order. And it used to be forgive others so you can be forgiven, but now it's you can forgive others because you have been forgiven. Um, it says have been. And how have we been forgiven? Anybody remember from last week? We have been forgiven all our sins, right? Past, present, and future. So we can forgive people let me explain this. We can forgive people when they have wronged us. I know this isn't proper English. When they are wronging us and when they're going to wrong us. And here's what I'll, I'll say that again because I could tell. Ready? We're going to let it settle in. When they have wronged us, when they are wronging us, and when they're going to wrong us. Okay? And here's what I'll tell you is if you're on this earth long enough, you will be wronged. You will be wronged at some point in your time. You will feel as though you have been wronged. Um, it's kind of like, I will say though, 
Um, I think we have this, this dog on here. Yeah, there we go. So cute little Einstein. Um, how many of you ever been bitten by a dog in here, right? Like, I mean, I've been bitten by a dog. I remember this one dog, I dropped the tomato, and for some reason this dog was so old it didn't know it was a tomato, and it came up and bit me, and I was really mad at the dog. Uh, I was really upset with it. Um, but I will say that just because a dog bites you does not mean that you have to get back in the fence and let the dog bite you some more, right? You get to say, hey, that thing bit me. I have to be careful of it biting me ever again, okay? And that's what I'll say about being wronged is just because you've been wronged doesn't mean you still can't forgive people, right? You can, um, forgiveness doesn't mean you don't see when people have wronged you. It means you see the wrong and you forgive them anyways. Does that make sense? When you, you can, forgiveness is when you can see that you've been wronged and you forgive anyways. Um, Luke 7, 40 through 50, I kind of want to set this up a little bit, but uh, the woman uh, that was forgiven of the act and said, don't, don't be condemned anymore, um, go and sin no more or whatever. Uh, if you remember, some people say that maybe this was Mary Magdalene, okay? Some people say that it, it might be. I think scholars say this. Um, but there's no real proof of it. Um, so here Jesus is walking around with some of the religious people, and he's teaching them. And all of a sudden, he's, he's chilling at uh, Simeon's house, and this woman busts in, okay? And she starts crying, and she starts washing his feet, and she starts putting perfume on him. Do you guys remember the story? And so Jesus is sitting here with this religious leader, Simeon, and he says, I have a word for you, right? Whenever Jesus has a word for you, you just got to kind of like settle in, right? You're like, oh, I have a word for you is what he said. And then um, Simeon said, go ahead, I want to hear it. Now, you know, he, was, he said that probably with a little bit of reluctance, right? But he said, go ahead, I want to hear it. He answered, and it's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owned the bank or owed the bank $100,000 and the other only owed $10,000. And when it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts to the kind banker, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. And then Jesus asked, he said, tell me, Simeon, which of the two debtors would be more thankful? Which one would love the banker most? And Simeon answered, I supposed it would be the one with the greater debt forgiven. And Jesus speaks up. He says, you're right. Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simeon about the woman still weeping at his feet. And he says, do you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. And you didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't take the time to anoint my head with the fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. And she has been forgiven of all of her many sins. And this is why she has shown me much extravagant love. But those who assumed they have very little to be forgiven, will love me very little. And then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. So even if he said you're no longer condemned, he's repeating again. It says all your sins are forgiven. And what was the difference between Simeon and the woman, right? Like there, there wasn't a whole lot actually different there. Um, was it that God forgave the woman more 
Was that the case? Um, no, the difference was, was that she recognized how much she had been forgiven. And they both had been forgiven all their sins. So the key, if God has forgiven us, um, all of them, then what business do we have holding a grudge against them? And I think sometimes, right, if God has forgiven us, what business do we have of not forgiving ourselves? How many of you guys have ever been in a situation where you needed to forgive yourself? There was something that maybe you had done and you needed to forgive yourself. And here's what I'll say is, if God has forgiven you, you have the capability of forgiving yourself. Like, if he's not stuck in the past... Okay, if he's not stuck with that thing that maybe you didn't live up to whatever or you didn't do the right thing or you didn't raise your kid the way you should have or whatever, look, I want you to know God is not stuck there. He's not. He's traveling time and he's forgiving everyone, the whole world of their sins. Um, when we know God has forgiven us past, present, and future, it opens doors. Number one, to sinlessness, to number two, to forgiveness, and the last door that it opens is to love. It's to love. Um, when Ruthie and I got married, first got married, um, I, I, don't know if you, I don't know if this was your same story, but when I first got married to Ruthie, like, I realized very quickly how many issues I had, right? I don't know if you guys are that way, but it, like, it like exposed all, Ruthie knows, she helped me to know. <laughs> She helped me to know. Hey, you can play the keys for me. Um, but she helped me to know. Um, and I mean, just silly stuff, right? Like, you know, get it, you'd get offended about uh, small things. Um, you'd be hurt. Uh, you'd be disappointed. And part of that was is because I, I thought I was pretty good at loving people. And then I got married. And then somebody was close to me right? Like they, they, it was showing things about myself that nobody really saw. Like your enemies don't see all those things about you, right? But people that are close in your life. And, and basically I had a lot of baggage. Okay. If I can say it <laughs> shortly, right? And it's like some things, even though I got saved, a lot of stuff got snuck through customs, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Nothing I could do about it. I didn't want that stuff to be there. I didn't want her to see that I was that way. Uh, but after that, I kind of, I, I made it a mission of mine to love, right? Like I was like, okay, I clearly need to love her better. I'm not doing that. And how do I do that? And the only thing I knew to do is just to start studying the scriptures. I'm like, I know how to study the word. Let me just go ahead and start reading how to love, okay? So I went to Luke 10, 27, and it says, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. It was a command. And I was like, I don't really know what all of that means. Like, I know that I need to love, like, I was trying to think like, how do I love God with all my strength? Is it like when I'm in the gym? Like, how do I, like, what's the, what is this whole strength and like my soul? Like, I don't know how to force my soul to love God. Um, and then to love my neighbor as myself. I was like, that was kind of confusing because I don't really love myself. Um, and, um, uh, I think to myself, all right, I know I love God more than most, right? This is what I thought when I was a young person. I was like, I know I love God. Um, but so this neighbor thing has to be easy. But the more I would try to learn about loving others, the more I wouldn't love others, right? Like I would learn, okay, I got to love, but it was, like, it was like a law. It was like a rule. And I was like, man, I am failing at this miserably. Um, so I thought to myself, 
I'm sure this is what everybody thinks. I thought to myself, hello, hello, is anyone home? Think, McFly, think. Right? I was at that point. Like, you got to think about this. What, what's the deal? And I knew Matthew 5, by heart, like it says, uh, but I say unto you, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And I was like, maybe if I can pretend like my wife is my enemy, maybe I can love her, right? Like, I think I could try that. No, I didn't do that. Um, I just realized if I can love my enemies, it should be easy to love somebody that's close to me. Um, and so I went to Ephesians 5.25. This is just a, a trail of me studying the word. Um, and I should have known. Like, I should have I thought about some of these things. But Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. And that was like, wait a minute. I, I just read that. It said, it said that I'm to love my wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And then I asked myself, I said, do I really know how much God loves me? Like, do I really understand that? And I, I'm, mind you, I'm in Bible school. Like, I've, I've led quite a few people to the Lord and all this other stuff. And I thought, like, I had arrived. And then I'm realizing, like, I don't know if I really know how much God actually loves me. 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. And so I know, I know I'm supposed to love God. I know I'm supposed to love her um, and I know I'm supposed to love my enemies, but do I really know how much he loves me? And I was spending so much time trying to love others that I was drawing from an empty well. How many of you guys, I don't know if they still have them, but you remember those wells that people used to put in their landscape, right? Like, it's like a fake well. And I remember as a kid, I'd always run up and I'm like, oh, this is a well, we're gonna get water. And there's like, it's just grass. It's like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. And that's kind of how it is when you're trying to draw from something that you don't have a supply of. When you're trying to love people in a way out of your own love, right? Like it, it's an empty well and you can only love so far. And that's what I was realizing with my own wife. I was like, I'm only able to love her so far. My love only goes so far. Um, I was dealing with the present to fix the present, not knowing I needed to go to the past to change the future. Does that make sense? I was trying to deal with an issue out of the present, not knowing I needed to go to the past to change the future. And so I switched it all up. I started searching scriptures of the past about how God loved me. And then I found in the same chapter that we're talking about, about Jeremiah 31, I found uh, the weeping. This is even the weeping prophet, the crybaby prophet, okay? He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world. And I remember taking my name and putting my name in that. I'm like, God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. And he said not, not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world might be saved. 1 John 4, 12, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is truly in our hearts. And if we don't know we already have the key, we won't walk through the door right? If we don't know we already have the key, we won't walk through the door. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but most of the time when me and my wife will get out, um, she'll say, well, can you open the door? And I'll say, well, actually you have the key. And then she'll yell. And she said, no, I don't have the key. And I'll say, yes, you do have the key, right? Uh, and then she looks in her purse and she's like, I had the key. I'm like, I told you, you had the key. And I, I want you to know, we will never walk through these three doors if we don't realize we already have this key. Um, so if we change this scripture around, right, if we change it around, 
your, your question is, how do I get this love into my heart? It says, if you, if you just change that scripture, it says, his love is truly in our hearts and God lives in us, then we love each other. I'll say that again. If God is truly in our hearts, God lives in us, then we will love each other. Then I read Romans 5, 5. It says, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was already given to us. God's love has already been poured out in us in the past. Therefore, that's how we can pull from a limitless supply. This is how we go back to the future. Is it, you know, according to how, how I said the other week, it's, he's the alpha and the omega. He can travel from the beginning to the end. And as he is, so are we in this world. And I want you guys to all know, you can be time travelers too. If Jesus was sinless, Right? If he was a forgiver and he was love, if he was the embodiment of love and he lives on the inside of you and me, um, if he does that, then we too can forgive. We can overcome sin in our lives. We can walk as if we're sinless. And then we can love others because God has loved us. We can pull from the supply. You know, And I say that to say that sometimes... Um, it's so easy to try and pull from our own lives, to pull from the present, to pull from things that we know. Like some, I think sometimes when, when we think, well, I can, love, I can love based off my past, but I want you to know you can't love based off your past or how good you've been. You can only love based off of Jesus' past. You can pull from that supply and walk this thing out. Amen? Let me pray for you guys. Father, we just thank you, God, for each one that's in here. We thank you, God, for speaking to us, God, this morning. We worship you. We honor you. We thank you, God, that we can love people based off of the love that you've provided for us. God, we can overcome sin because you, the sinless one, lives on the inside of us. And God, I thank you, God, also. We can forgive others because you, too, have forgiven us. And we trust in you, God, to speak to us this week, God. Help us to forgive ourselves if there's something in our own lives that we're struggling with. Help us to forgive something that we can't let go because you've let go. You said, you said that our sin is as far as the east is from the west. And God, so we look to you, the author and the finish of our faith. We don't look to ourselves to try and overcome. We look to you and we trust and know that you're doing great things in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen.